declaring yourself a stable genius is laughable, but it also has a lot of American history behind that inanity. It's called positive thinking. The classic of positive thinking is Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking, and published back in 1952, it's now sold something over five million copies. The book's most famous quote has become part of American culture, change your thoughts and you change your world. Norman Vincent Peale was a minister at Marble Collegiate Church in Manhattan. Donald Trump's parents were members of that church, and Donald attended. During a CNN interview, Trump said, the great Norman Vincent Peale was my minister for years. In a Washington Post interview, Trump said of Reverend Peale, he thought I was his greatest student of all time. <laughs> Norman Vincent Peale said of Trump, He's one of America's top positive thinkers and doers. So there you go. There is a genealogy to this inanity. When Peel's book came out, it was immediately and soundly thrashed by both psychologists and Christian theologians. Apal Davies, pastor of All Souls Unitarian Church in Washington, DC, said of the book, quote, it has sort of a drug effect on people to be told they need not worry. They keep coming back for more. It keeps their minds on a superficial level and encourages emotional dependency. It is an escape from reality. People under stress do one of two things, seek shelter or respond to harsh reality by a deeper recognition of what they're up against. The people who flock to the positive thinking preachers are seeking shelter. They don't want to face reality." End quote. When Adlai Stevenson, presidential candidate, Democrat and Unitarian, was asked about Peel, he responded, I find St. Paul appealing and Peel appalling. Reverend Peel was very open about the connection between positive thinking and conservative political thinking. After all, tests have shown that there's a clear connection between reporting on what we call happiness and contentment with how things are, a correlation between happiness and the status quo. So, in other words, the rich can afford to be happy, the poor not so much. I think we can reliably say that optimism is a healthy attitude, but positive thinking is, as Reverend Davies said long ago, an escape from reality among those who already have a cushy reality. Unlike Adlai Stevenson, I don't find St. Paul's philosophy all that appealing, but Peel and his disciples are still appalling. Last week, Reverend Jim considered the distinction between resilience and endurance. Resilience and endurance. As I've been thinking this week about the kind of privilege it takes to believe 
in the power of positive thinking and the kind of thinking it takes to declare yourself a stable genius. I thought back to my grandfather who lived his entire life as a sharecropper. I remember him saying to me when I was a little kid, the only thing poor folks get out of life is what we manage to eat. Now, that wasn't a very positive thing to tell a little kid, was it? But you see, the bankers can send the county sheriff out to take away your hope. So hope is a dangerous thing for many people to have. The county sheriff can't take away your cynicism. You buy yourself a firearm so you feel some power. If that sheriff does come to the farm, you probably won't use it, but you could, and so you feel a little bit of power. Then you hear liberals talking about how powerful the National Rifle Association is and how the NRA buys off politicians and that just reinforces what you already believe about the corruption of the government that always screws you. So you join the NRA and you wait with your shotgun. That's endurance, not resilience. And that's the voice I've fought all my life. When you're born into privilege, it's not difficult for your thoughts to be positive and your actions legal. When you're born poor, cynicism and violence can come to you naturally. So we know what happens when a privileged person relies on positive thinking. Someday, he can be president. But what about the oppressed? What about the poor? Thinking about this, I remembered the reading that you heard this morning from Huey P. Newton, one of the co-founders of the Black Panther Party back in 1966. Trump is four years younger than Newton, would have been, but Newton was murdered during a drug deal. Newton's father was a sharecropper and a part-time Baptist preacher. Newton grew up in Monroe, Louisiana, one of the places I lived when I was a kid. I don't know why it's pronounced Monroe, not Monroe, but that's the way it is in Louisiana. Huey Newton was named after the populous governor of Louisiana, Huey P. Long, who Huey's father admired, as did my grandparents. Long brought the poor of all races together to form a progressive political machine during the Great Depression. Every man a king, said Mr. Long, in that very patriarchal way. I'll have to talk about Huey P. Long and my family some other time. Now, at the end of his life, Dr. Martin Luther King was promoting what was called the Poor People's Campaign. The Poor People's Campaign of the 1960s was designed to include all oppressed people, white, Latinx, Asian, Native, everybody. Then King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale had that inclusive vision when they started the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Yes, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. We ought to remember its nice long name because that harkens to the Black Lives Matter movement of today. It was for African Americans exclusively. But Newton and Seale also helped to form the Young Lords and the Macheteros, which was a two Puerto Rican groups in Chicago 
as well as the young patriots in Rising Up Angry, two groups for poor whites. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense wore black berets, but there were also brown berets, tan berets, and white berets, just as there would later be pink berets when the Gay Liberation Front began supporting the Black Panthers financially. Newton and Seal invented what in anti-racist, anti-oppression training nowadays we call caucusing. That is, different oppressed groups talking among themselves before they talk to the larger group. Now, most Americans don't know the story that I just related to you. You can walk as long as you like in the Chicago neighborhood of Lincoln Park today and never see a plaque mentioning the Lincoln Park Poor People's Coalition. If you mention the Rainbow Coalition, uh, even to history buffs, they will tell you that was a group founded by Reverend Jesse Jackson, who was, of course, with Martin Luther King when he was assassinated. But the original Rainbow Coalition was made up of those groups that I mentioned that were encouraged by Seal and Newton. And Newton explains what he was doing in that reading from this morning, quote, the whites are not only duped and used by the prison staff, but come to love their oppressors. Their dehumanization is so thorough that they admire and identify with those who deprive them of their humanity. Nowadays, we call that Stockholm Syndrome. Endurance, not resilience. In your order of service this morning, you see a quote from the social activist Barbara Ehrenreich. There is a vast difference between positive thinking and existential courage. Endurance necessarily has more existential courage in it than does positive thinking, I will agree, but endurance is only about getting by. Existential courage is a whole lot more than that. The quote in the order of service comes from a book titled Bright-Sided, how the relentless promotion of positive thinking has undermined America. Aaron Wright wrote the book after experience with breast cancer. It, it taught her some valuable lessons. Quote, the failure to think positively, she says, can weigh on a cancer patient like a second disease. Aaron Wright wrote, breast cancer, I can now report, did not make me prettier or stronger more feminine or spiritual. What it gave me, if you want to call this a gift, was a very personal, agonizing encounter with an ideological force in American culture that I had not been aware of before, one that encourages us to deny reality, submit cheerfully to misfortune, and blame only ourselves for our fate." End quote. Deny reality submit cheerfully to misfortune, and blame only ourselves for our fate. Now, in my experience, the poor don't tend to do that. My sharecropper grandfather thought he was looking at reality head on. He was deeply bitter about his misfortunes, and he blamed the government for his fate. Endurance versus mainstream American positive thinking, I would call that. But let's look more closely at Aaron Wright's existential courage, what I'm gonna call resilience. Because humanism looks at things from exactly the opposite angle as positive thinking. 
Humanists face reality even if we choose, wish reality weren't like it is. We object strongly to what we see as wrong, and we understand that everything is interconnected. Humanists know that cancer has a cause, and that cause isn't negative thinking. Often cancer can be cured, but not by positive thinking or blaming yourself for your misfortune. Last week, Reverend Jim mentioned a study of children that demonstrates that resilient children have what psychologists call an internal locus of control. Internal locus of control. They believe that they, and not their circumstances, affect their achievements. Bottom line, the resilient see themselves as the orchestrators of their own fates. I think Kendrick stated that perfectly today. He was the master of his fate. It sounds a lot like that old Victorian-era historic poem by William Ernest Henley called Invictus. It was the favorite poem of Nelson Mandela. He had it memorized. Last lines are, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Here's the unfortunate fact that positive thinking can't get around. Some problems don't have solutions. And yes, our religious tradition is one of the few that can say that. Some problems don't have solutions. Thinking otherwise is a delusion. Yet some people don't sit around and think we're victims. The difference between just getting by and getting back up and going on is looking at problems squarely for what they are and then seeking reality-based solutions. That's what bothers many of us, I think, about Trump's politics. It's not only that they benefit only a tiny fraction of the population, but they also just aren't reality-based. One of the hallmarks of humanism and other non-theist philosophies and religions is their insistence that human life can be improved by cognitive means, by using our thoughts, our knowledge, and our perceptions of reality. In these traditions, wisdom comes not from the gods, but from a very human combination of acquired facts and controlled intuitions, mind, thought, reason. For example, the serenity prayer is a concise example of improving life through cognitive means. That little phrase, the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference between what you can change and what you can't. The serenity prayer encapsulates a key concept in Stoicism called the axiom of futility. The axiom of futility. Simply stated, the axiom of futility says, if you can't do it, don't do it. The axiom, axiom of futility is why you cannot think positively about it and then suddenly become a stable genius when you're neither stable nor a genius. <laughs> Not doing what you can't do avoids all manner of disappointment. It can give us existential courage. Clearly, the trick to using the axiom of futility is that wisdom to know the difference thing. You might decide it's futile to fix 
your financial situation, or your relationship, or your drinking problem, or that little lump you feel. Those decisions are not wise. Just because you don't want to do something, or just because it's hard, that doesn't mean that it's futile. It just means it's going to take some hard work. The wisdom to know the difference. The Stoic philosopher Epictetus put it this way, quote, some things we can do, some things we can't. Take power over what you have power over. Learn what illusion looks like. Learn to say that is an illusion. Learn to ask, what is in my power? If it's not in your power, forget about doing it, end quote. Dr. George Bonanno is a psychologist, and he's taking those ideas of ancient stoicism into the study of post-traumatic stress disorder. Fancying up the words of Epictetus, Bonanno claims that an event is a PTE, potentially traumatic event. An event is potentially traumatic because we decide, consciously or unconsciously, whether or not that event is traumatic to us. And by thinking about it, we can change that story. The difference between positive thinking and stoicism is this. Positive thinking claims to change reality, but it doesn't. Stoicism changes the way you view reality, and you can do that. Allow me to conclude with that old Stoic poem, Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond the place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. <laughs>